Episode 198 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the great American singer-songwriter and musician Gene Pitney. His many classic hits included Town Without Pity, 24 Hours from Tulsa, Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart, and I'm Gonna Be Strong. He also wrote hits for other artists, such as Rubber Ball by Bobby V, Hello Mary Lou by Ricky Nelson, and He's a Rebel by The Crystals. In 2002, Gene was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Very sadly, this true gentleman died suddenly on a UK tour in 2006, aged only 66. Less than two years before, in July 2004, he did this interview with me, in which he chose ten of his favourite albums. I was talking to him from my hometown, Worthing, on the south coast of England, where Gene was going to start his next British tour, and he was at his home in Connecticut, which he told me a bit about. It originally was what they call a Dutch colonial, which has gambrel roofs and has a certain look about, you know, that, that kind of a house. But when my boys, my two oldest boys, were growing up, I wanted to move, like, up the hill to go to a bigger acreage. We have about four acres here. And they were horrified. Right. All their friends lived on the street. <laughs> At that time, there were kids growing up, like, in every household. So there were about 25, maybe 30 different friends. So instead of moving, I added on to both ends of the house. So how many so bedrooms have you got all together now? Uh, six. And do you have a recording studio there? Yes, I do. And any other sort of luxuries, like a tennis court, swimming pool or whatever? Oh, a swimming pool, yeah, and it's built in the middle of an old apple orchard, so it's pretty picturesque as far as uh, the grounds are concerned. Lovely. And may we know who lives at home with you nowadays? Oh, just myself and my wife. Right. has become very, very big. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the boys you... have all moved out. Yeah. And are you going to keep the house, though? Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. And whereabouts in the house do you keep your record collection? Well, there is no record collection. Really? Oh, it's all on an iPod, is it? They're right. I mean, I have a record collection and I have a CD collection, you know, to some extent from things that were there before the uh, computer part of it was available. But I find iPod is so much easier and it's for sorting and finding things that you want to play. You can create your own playlist. Because a lot of people get nostalgic for vinyl, the smell of it even, you know, and, and, the, and even CD cases. They kind of like it packaged that way, but you prefer the new technology, yeah, do you? Yeah, I don't have any, any interest in that. I, I never was a, a very big collector. And the reason I really like iPod is because usually there might be one track, maybe two, on a CD that, that I really like. iPod allows you to do that, to just yeah. take the tracks off. Yeah. And how many tracks are on your iPod? Have you filled it up? No, I'd say I probably have about, maybe about 30 CDs. All right. That's quite modest, isn't it? Yeah, and then there's a lot of single. I mean, that's CDs in total, but yeah. there's a lot of single songs on there that I take off. Yeah. Okay, well, have you got your list of favorite albums yes, then? Yes, I have. What would be your first one? The first one's Alanis Morissette, and it's her new CD called So-Called Chaos. And um, why did you choose that, this one? I like the way that she writes. The, the single that's off of this CD, Everything... Uh, is like a very well-written song. It's a very interesting twist on the lyric idea, and she's doing things that I find is missing today in most of the contemporary music. So many songs that I've been listening to, all they do is follow a chord structure and repeat the same melodic line over and over and over again. There's no, there's no mental uh, effort put into it to create.
create something that's kind of unique. Have you and met? She does this with most of the things that she writes. Have you met Alanis? No, I haven't. Have you seen her in concert? No, I just watched her a lot on TV and on uh, again on the computer. How do you get into new artists these days? Do you listen to a lot of radio and watch MTV and so on? No, radio, yes. I uh, I go all over the place. You know, I mean, I might hit classical one time, I might hit country and western one time, and uh, I go all over the uh, the numbers that are on there. It gives me a good cross-section of things. When was the last time you watched another artist in concert? Oh, a while ago. Probably three or four years. I think of where I was. No problem. Okay. And um, what would be your second choice album, please? David Gray. Oh, right. Excellent. Is that uh, White, White Ladder? was my favorite CD of 2002. And again, same reasons. I love the way that he writes lyrically and melodically. Very, very strong and very unique, his, his interpretation of things and the way that he uh, looks at things. And Do I you find that refreshing. Mm. And what brought him to your attention? Oh, uh, the first single that came out, Babylon. Then I, I, I did buy that CD. And the, uh, the CD had the White Ladder, uh, which had been released first in the UK, but it wasn't here in the US. And a lot of things that I, I just really enjoyed listening to, to see where it was going. This Year's Love is a very popular track from that. Which one? This Year's Love. It was a very big hit. That's off of White Ladder? Yeah, sure it is. Yeah. Well, don't worry about that. It's okay if you don't remember oh, that it's one. interesting because I thought I knew every song on there. I yeah, I thought this year's... Maybe, maybe it's not on the American one. I don't know. Oh, it could be. It was a massive hit single over here. Huh. It's a lovely ballad. This but Year's Love. This Year's Love, yeah. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. Do you... I mean, he's a good old British artist, of course. Do you um, think there is a, sort of something special about British artists? Well, you have to realize how long I've been around. I mean, I've seen so many people come up and so many people go down and so many things that are cyclical that um, it doesn't make any difference to me where people are from, you know. I mean, I like British artists. I like American artists. I like Canadian artists. Uh, it seems like uh, the possibility is there from anywhere. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that the option for recording is now so easy because good equipment is available. When I first started out, you had to go to, like, Nashville, New York, or Los Angeles to record. And now you can do... I mean, my studio here is driven by a thing called Pro Tools, and it's a fantastic program that emulates all the hardware that most studios have to have. Matter of fact, it's caused them trouble because of that. And it's fantastic what you can do with mm. it. So I just think that sometimes... Uh, there might be too much product out there. Very few artists these days um, have endurance like yourself. And do you think David Gray has durability? Very hard to say. I get, I get asked the question quite often. I think it's got more to do now with the way things are run than it has to do with the artist himself or herself. Right. You know, it's a whole different type of a uh, situation out there, and it's mostly driven by the bottom line. It's a money-driven business now. Right. When I first started out, there were a lot of eccentrics that were running the thing, and it made it much more colorful. I, I, I don't think that there are things in place that can create a, a longevity for an artist today. I really feel that from the record company's point of view, that they look at artists to have a very short shelf life, and they don't expect them to be a long-term entity. Hmm. Um, yeah, this year's love is track eight on uh, White Ladder over here, so maybe you've got a different version. Yeah. Your third choice album, please. K.D. Lang. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, CD is Invincible Summer. A very um, underrated, I think, artist. And she kind of like... The programming in the U.S. Is, is 
much more severe than I think probably anywhere in the world as far as the way things have to fit into the pigeonhole to be put into a playlist. And I think that Katie Lang is one of the people that doesn't fit anywhere. If she fits anywhere, it's like um, adult-oriented music. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I just love what she does. I think she's got one of the most beautiful um, singing voices in the entire industry. Mm. Yes, yeah, she caused quite an impact when she first came over here because of her look and her, you know, her appeal is very different, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't know whether that was a good thing to do with the... That was when she was wearing that tux and everything. Yeah, she was sort of... The long tails and... I don't know, but she's done... She's moved into the right area because most of her concerts now are done with Tony Bennett. And they have a a very, very, very big commercial on television right now with the two of them singing um, It's a Wonderful World. Is that the Louis Armstrong song? Yes, the Louis Armstrong one, but a very slow version of it, and it shows off both of their abilities, her and Tony. And uh, I think that's that's where she has to go. Have you met her? Concert and show what she can do. Have you met Katie Lang? No, I'm. You know, I don't go into the the social fabric of the industry. I live way off the beaten path. Yeah. At the top of Connecticut. So I I don't function in anything where I run into a lot of people. The business is so different now than it used to be. I mean, when I first started out, you would do concert tours. That might be most of them were like bus tours. And it was great because you would have probably sometimes 50, 60 people that were all your contemporaries at the time. And you would, mm. you would get to meet everybody and live with them for a long time, you know. Mm. Mm. And that just doesn't happen anymore. But you did that splendid duet with Mark Almond, which we all love over here. I'm wondering if you might duet with anyone else in the future. Oh, I would love to. Matter of fact, David Gray would be one of the people I think that might be really, really interesting. But yeah. I have to kind of like sit and wait uh, for someone to, to come up and ask, which is what happened with uh, Mark. Right. Okay, your fourth choice, please, Gene. I notice I got a lot of women on here this time. <laughs> Annie Lennox, with uh, one of the older ones, Diva. Good one. Uh, walking on Broken Glass and on and on and on and on. Are they your favorite tracks from that? Yeah, uh, I just like pretty much anything that she does. As a matter of fact, I think when you see her live, I just watched part of a concert. I forget who she's out with. Is it Sting, I think. Uh, and when you see her live, she's dynamic. And she's got such a set of chops. <laughs> oh, man, can she sing. When you chops. say chops, is it might mean different in America. Do you mean teeth? Oh, no, no. Chops, meaning uh, her ability to sing. Her, oh, I see. Her singing box is chops. <laughs> and uh, no point asking if you've met her then, because... No, I don't think, I'll tell you right now, I don't think I've met any of these people that I have on here at all. Nope, not Okay, either. that's all right. And uh, did you like the Eurythmics when Annie was in that? Not as much as I liked the things that she did on her own. I, I, I think that, um, what's the guy's name? Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart, right. I think that the way that he bent things probably was more commercial uh, for yeah. them as far as the commerciality of selling CDs or records. But uh, it didn't fit, again, what I like to listen to. Right. I like to hear her use that wonderful ability that she has to really get into something. Okay, your fifth choice, please. Had to be, didn't it? Nora Jones. Oh, yes, lots of people go for this, yeah. And the original one, Come Away With Me. Right. I have the new one as well, but it's, you know, it's very, very, almost impossible to, to compete with a success like that first one. Did you ever know her dad? No, I mean, I knew of him, of course. Yeah. You know, for years and years and years, but uh, never never ran into him either. But I just love the way that this this CD kind of brought about the reality to probably the whole record industry that if anybody made a really, really 
good record that people would buy it. Simple as that. And how did you first hear this one, and which track in particular struck you? Uh, it would have been whatever the first single was off of the CD, but I'm not sure what that was. Right. It wasn't Come Away With Me. Oh, um... Well, it doesn't matter, it's okay. Well, I was listening to it yesterday, I guess. Right. You, you did say that the second album doesn't quite live up to the, the first one. No, it's very good, and it's very, very nice, but I just think that the, sometimes the magic is there. Uh, I'll go back to David Gray for a minute. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was reading about him... Uh, listened to him say some very funny things actually but he said what a pleasure it was to actually get into a recording studio and have all the things available to him that he didn't have on that first one on um, White Ladder Right. White Ladder was done like in the garage living room whatever they used uh, to create that sound but I think that sometimes that generates whatever that sound and quality is that makes it successful Yeah. and I think that that had to happen with Nora Jones. I mean, uh, she she knew it. I listened to her talk about it. And she said, you know, it's, it's impossible to... Everybody's going to be expecting something super, super fantastic, and I'm just going to do what I like and do the songs that I like. Okay. Um, sixth choice, please. Gypsy Kings. Oh, right. Okay. Which uh, one? Again, it's a couple of CDs back. It's my favorite one, though. Love and Liberté. Have you been a fan of theirs for a long time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a long time. I... I remember years ago, I was having my hair cut, and this guy had uh, a CD rack with like about six or eight CDs going around in rotation. And I heard one of the tracks off one of their things, and I said, my God, you, you got to tell me what that is. So we had to go searching through all those things to find out what it was, <laughs> what it was that I was listening to. And I think that they're so unique. Uh, I was reading up on them and their background and everything. It's kind of fascinating because they go back to, I think that they're, uh, Romanian gypsies originally, but I think they're all out of the lower part of Spain, where yeah. they all live. Hmm. And the fact that if somebody is tired, um, wants to take time off or whatever, they just bring in another family member <laughs> and fit them into the rotation. Have you always liked Latin music, generally? Yes. Yeah, I love the rhythms that are in, in Latin stuff, yeah. Hmm. And they're they're very unique, because the the type of guitar work and everything that they do is really formidable as far as uh, being different than, than anybody else's. You know that it's a Gypsy King when you hear them. Hmm. You say you first heard them when you were having a haircut. Where were you having a haircut? I was here in, in the town, uh, in the little shop that I went to, uh, probably about 20 minutes from my home. Right. <laughs> um, number seven, please. Gillian Welch. Right. And what's the album called? Revival. Right. What kind of music's this, then? Do you know what she, who she is? No, I don't, actually. She's, you can't call it country. She's really um, old bluegrass, I would say. Uh, they always talk about her. I was just reading about her today, as a matter of fact, and, they, and she said that uh, it's unfortunate that people only think of her in terms of that because she thinks that what she's writing in these songs that are in all these CDs that are coming out is very, very contemporary. Her ideas are basically contemporary, but she's definitely throwback uh, bluegrass right. from its inception, and she's one of the best uh, uh, users of it that I've, I've heard in a long, long time. Mm. So is she classified as country? No, I don't think so. I think bluegrass would have to be as close as I would be able to get. I mean, her, her fans probably would go, tend to go toward the countryside. How are you classified? How was I? 
How, yeah, how have you been classified over the years, and how do you think you should be classified? Well, most people say that I'm very, very hard right. to classify, and I think that I created that, which is kind of nice, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because I've uh, dabbled in pretty much everything and been successful in all the different areas. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Country and Western, folk, uh, R&B, pop, uh, standards, and it was in the, the all the language stuff as well, primarily in the Italian market. Yeah. What are your favorite tracks on Revival, and why? Um, Tear My Still House Down. I don't have the list here in front of me, but that's, that's one of my favorites. One More Dollar is one of my, my favorites. Right. Yeah, Tear My Still House Down and... Uh, one More Dollar. One More Dollar, right. Yeah. What, why do you choose those? Because of the rhythm structure and the instrument, instrument instrumentation that they have on it. They have a lot of uh, instruments with some of the guys that I know. Steve Cropper, I think, is one of the people that's playing on it, who's a real, real fantastic guitar player. Uh, and the guy that played the uh, rhythm break in Hello, Mary Lou, James Burton. Oh, yes. Is he on there as well. And they're will. playing a lot of unique instruments like dobro and uh, a couple of things. I don't even know what they are. I never, never even heard of the instrument before. Hmm. And it's uh, great, great sound. Your eighth choice, please. Um, Leonard Cohen. Which one? Uh, various Positions. Right. Why? Uh, he's such a interesting songwriter, and I guess that I lean toward that with a, a lot of these people as to what they, what type of songs that they construct. And I mean, Leonard, my tour manager in the UK for years, would also go out and do tour management for Leonard Cohen. And he said to me, after you've been on the road with Leonard for like 25 concerts, 30 concerts, he said that that you know you don't want to have a, a bad day. Says <laughs> <laughs> that low drone. Oh. And the songs over and over again, you know. But uh -huh. I, I just like, he's so unique and so different, and um, I like the way, again, that he directs his ideas when he's writing songs. He reminds me of a, he reminds me a lot of Chris Christopherson. Oh, yeah. In the fact that they're both excellent songwriters, and neither one of them has any kind of a, a great voice. But it doesn't matter, because they're both unique when they interpret their own songs. You could say the same about Bob Dylan, couldn't you? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, ninth choice, please. Uh, Bob Marley. Which one? Uh, one of the ones that uh, I've always liked because it was kind of like uh, old reggae, Uprising. Okay. You like the West Indies, don't you? I think I remember you, you go over there. Yeah, very much. I love the, the, the rhythms um, of it, and I play guitar, and uh, just when I hear that stuff, and this, especially when you get into reggae, because it's such a different rhythm. Took one of my songs a few years back. I woke up in the middle of the night, and God knows why. A song that was a big hit for me called Nobody Needs Your Love. Uh, I, I converted it to reggae for stage. Wow. And I don't know why. I woke up <laughs> doing that in my head. How funny. Where were you at the time? At home? I was at home. I was oh. here prior to doing a tour. And I thought, well, if you got it in your head, do it. So what I did was I lifted some horn licks from UB40, which I thanked them for. I saw them in the studio a little while later. And uh, we just redid it, and it, it fit perfectly. Did you ever see Marley live? No, I didn't. But no. do you, you were quite an admirer of his stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. He's one of the great innovators of uh, what happened. I think a lot of people following him are pretty much copiers. Yeah. And number 10, please. Uh, Dido. Uh, the original one, the big one, No Angel. Right. Uh, again, she fits right in that category uh, of like the David Grays. I love the way that she writes. Uh, I love the, uh, the lyric end of it and the melodic end of it. There's some time spent on it. 
I just read something by Hal David of Backrack and David. Yes, of course, yeah. Hal, they asked Hal what he thought of contemporary music today. And I thought his answer was right on the money. He said, when he listens to the songs, he was talking like, say, the, the top ten. Mm-hmm. He gets the feeling when he goes away from it that the songs were 75% finished. And I think that these people that I mentioned, the David Grays and the Didos, I think don't do that. I think that they work really hard to make things unique and, mm-hmm. and interesting. People over here criticize Dido for all her tracks sound the same, they say. What do you say to that? Yeah, I would, but I would say probably that has an awful lot to do with production as well. Right. I think they're produced sounding the same. I don't know whether the songs would sound the same. I, I agree. I would like to hear it, um, that part of it much more adventurous. But then don't you artists have to have a certain style that people can identify with? People like to hear the Gene Pitney sound, don't they? Yes, but I think that I've pushed that uh, barrier quite a few times to make things as different as I could. I mean, sometimes I would get fed up with that as well, like the big, uh, big giant ballads and everything, yeah. and all the uh, huge horn sections and everything coming in. Sometimes you want to get away from that, and uh, I would take that chance, even if you uh, annoyed people that were in the public. What do you think of Cindy Lauper doing Gotta Be Strong? Oh, I think that's the definitive version. Really? Oh, yes. I God. think that that's a fantastic version of the song. Did she communicate with you at all over that? You know, I think that she called me, and I didn't know who... It was when I owned a uh, beach club here. Right. About probably uh, 10 minutes from my home on a lake. And I got there one day, and a guy said to me, somebody called, uh, and it had something to do with one of your songs. He wasn't really sure what it was. And I have a feeling that it was her calling when she was in, in what, Blue Angel, right, at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great version, wasn't it? Oh. And she just, uh, you know, and she doesn't do it in, in concert or anywhere. I've, I've, I've looked many, many times, because I think it shows her off so well. Yeah, absolutely, it does. And, and uh, sorry, we're just chatting away now before we may, because I've done the record thing. I'd just like to have a chat with you, if that's sure. okay, for 15 minutes. So, um, Kirsty Alley, in um, Look Who's Talking, she did that fantastic dance to 24 Hours from Tulsa. No, Tulsa Town Without Pity. Oh, Town Without Pity, that's yeah. right, yeah. And how did you feel about that? Did you enjoy that? Oh, I thought it was tremendous. As a matter of fact, I couldn't believe that they used pretty much the whole song. Yeah. You know, it's such a long segment to have in there, because... To go back to the, re- the actual recording of the, the filming of Town Without Pity, when I recorded it in Los Angeles, and then I didn't hear anything anymore until they came out with the rushes of the film, Yeah, yeah. they said to me that the guy that did the production on, it, on the movie was so hung up on the song that they had to take it out of the, the film about four or five times because every time you would walk around a corner, the song would come on. Really? He was creating situations where you would walk into a, a, a bar and the jukebox would be yeah, 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 and yeah. it would be playing, you know, over and over and over and over again. So it's, it's yeah. been a... And you know, I still cannot end the show in the U.S. market without Tom Without Pity being the closer. Really? Still, after all these years. Because of that film? Well, the film and the association that people have with the, the song. And with Kirstie Alley's bottom, probably. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's unfortunate that it's very big now. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. She lives in Connecticut, doesn't she? She did it one time, I think, when she was married to... Uh, Parker Stevenson, Parker, yeah. 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 Then um, they moved to a, a huge house up in Maine somewhere. Yeah. On the Canadian border. And then it all fell apart. Yeah, it's very sad. Back to 24 hours and dollars. That was used in a car commercial over here, I think, or a petrol commercial. I remember there being a... Oh, um, no, 24 hours from... Um, 
Yes, it was a toaster ad for one of the uh, magazine uh, <laughs> purchasing things. Are you very careful about how your songs are used? Well, I have no control over that. I mean, if, if, you, if you're the publisher, uh, which I'm not, of this oh. the publisher has, is the one that can say yay or nay. Right. Uh, it didn't bother me a bit. As a matter of fact, I got a kick out of it. And uh, I, the, the guy that sang it actually came 24 hours from... Oh, God, because it's right up the road from Grimsby. Uh, uh, Scunthorpe? Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe, that's it. 24 yeah, hours that's from Scunthorpe. Yeah. <laughs> and I, anyway, I invited the guy that sang it, and he came to my show at the Palladium at the end of the tour. When oh, it I didn't know that. It's fantastic. Do you, what do you think of... Um, Pop Idol, by the way, because it's, it's made a big splash in the last few years. Have you been watching it? Yeah, I, now and then, but I just don't feel that uh, that's the way to create somebody who, you, who you're going to turn into the quote-unquote stars. Uh, I think it kind of like demeans the whole thing a little bit, and it takes away from... Uh, I like the process of going out and learning what you're doing and learning in front of a, an audience and everything. But to be put in front of people and then judged and win a thing like that, I, I just don't, I can't relate to it too well. Hmm. Have you watched much of it? No, I, if I hit it, I'll watch a couple of contestants, you know. I enjoy uh, as much watching the panel. I mean, Simon's become really huge, hasn't he, from that thing? <laughs> he certainly has. And what do you think of him? Because people reckon he's cruel. Well, they need him to be what he is on that show. Yeah. Uh, he just made the, the change from it being like a regular panel saying, oh, yeah, and I like it, and for this reason, blah, blah, blah. And to have someone like that, uh, he's definitely cruel as far in the eyes of the artist or anybody watching that likes the artist, but I think that some of the things he say, says are necessary. Right. If you were asked to be a judge on that, would you accept? No. Why is that? I just don't feel it's my place. I, I don't have any interest in doing anything like that. Hmm, hmm. Are you still friends with any of, of the other artists that you've worked with over the years at all? Um, a few of them, but not many. A lot of the people that, uh, like a Johnny Tillotson, uh, a Bobby V, uh, Tony Orlando. May I ask you about Phil Spector? Sure. Because you worked with him many years ago, didn't you? Right. So how do you feel about this? I mean, such a waste, isn't it, what's happened to him? Well, it's really tragic because I saw Phil... Uh, when I was at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the induction. What year was I, that? I was inducted in uh, 2002. And I was standing, waiting. Uh, they have a very bizarre way of putting you on. You don't do, like, the induction speech and your songs. You do one, and then you tons of other things happen, then you do another. So you're standing on the side waiting to go on for a long time. And Phil walked by, and I was just about to jump out and say, Hey, you know, how are you doing? And I noticed that he was, like, kind of staring straight ahead. And he had a guy with his hand on his shoulder, mm -hmm. kind of steering him. Oh. And he went up to um, Isaac Hayes and gave him a hug and turned around and got steered back again. So I just left, kind of left it alone. And ironically, I talked that night to the guy who I didn't realize was his probably closest friend, Marvin Mitchinson. Do you know who that is? Um, I don't. No. He's the big uh, paternity attorney. Oh, okay. He started all those huge paternity suits probably about 10, 15 years ago now. He needs an attorney now, doesn't he? Yeah, well, this I was talking to this guy not knowing the connection between the two of them, and then I yeah. watched him uh, watched him or read about Marvin Mitchinson talking about his friendship with Phil over the last years, and he said the tragedy was that they had him so straight, he was so stable, 
the two or three years prior to this happening, and he thinks that that was one of the causes for it, because like one of the things that they did was took away the bodyguard, which right. they felt he didn't need anymore. Right. And he said that they all feel that if the bodyguard was still there, none of this would have ever happened. Yeah, yeah. That he ended up having free range, and I mean, I read about the drinking and everything that night, and if that was true, and I know that he was like taking all kinds of psychotic things to keep him stable, the two don't work together too well. So I just think that whatever it was, I mean, he, he's certainly not a vicious person. And I just think that it was some really disastrous situation that happened. I'll be interested to see where it goes. Was he a bit wacky when you worked with him? Well, he's always been eccentric. I mean, people always ask me that, and I say, of course he was. I mean, a lot of the people that I've worked with that have been very, very successful and kind of unique because of it are eccentric people. And he definitely was one of them, you know, I mean, I had dinner with Phil the first time, he, the first day he came to New York. Right. We went to a place called the House of Chan Restaurant on 7th mm -hmm. Avenue. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the course of the conversation, I mean, I was a real green kid at that time from this little town up here in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of like, uh, he had already had success with the uh, teddy bears uh, on the West Coast and everything. And he was telling me about himself and he said, uh, he said, my sister is in an asylum and she's the sane one in the family. And I thought, what? Well, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> but that, that was Phil. And there were a lot of things that happened with, uh, I remember one day walking in, he had a piano player. Oh, I can't think of his name. But he had a piano player that became his taught musical. In other words, Phil could hear things in his head. He could hear productions and everything. Mm. But he wasn't really a musician. This guy was the guy that put it down on paper for him all the time. And I remember walking in one day, and they had scores out on the floor. They were both laying on the floor. And I didn't realize that history was being made, because they were doing uh, the scores for You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What a song. Did you record that one as well? Yes, I did. Right. I remember Elvis's version. Did you ever meet Elvis? Elvis was tucked away and gone by the time I started. Right. He was, uh, I think, probably in Las Vegas at that time, and that was pretty much it. Like mm. I said, if, if you weren't out there doing the traveling and everything with all the other people, this is where I met the Orlandos and Goldsboros and yeah. all those people. Yeah. Uh, Elvis was, another one was Ricky Nelson. The same thing. He never toured. He was always doing the television show and there was no access to him. You know? mm. um, you did meet our royal family though a few oh, yeah. times. Have you got any nice royal stories? Because we always love stories about our royal family. Well, the funniest one, I think, is one of the second or third command performances that I did. Uh, when the, the, the ships were, the radio ships were out in the channel. Yes, Radio Caroline and so on. Yeah, it wasn't Caroline. When radio. it was out in the English channel, I think I went out like from Hull or somewhere to get okay. it. I forget what it was called. Okay. But they invited me out in the middle of a tour and said, would you like to see the ship? And I think that the, my people took it as a, a photo up as well at the same time. And it was a rainy day, kind of miserable gray overcast and they brought in a tender to take us out to the ship mm. and these other people showed up these two or three other young guys and they got in the boat and we went out and spent uh, quite a few hours out there actually on the ship then came back in and when we got back into hull the press were all over the place there and mm. i thought of course they were coming to take my picture oh and they were taking the other guy's picture so i had spoken to him quite a bit going out to the boat and back again and he was an architecture student yeah. And he said, you know, where are you from? And I said, Connecticut. And he said, oh, he said, Hartford. That's got that beautiful new construction of the Phoenix Insurance Building called the ship. It looks like a ship. And we talked, and it turned out to be 
I think it's Prince Richard of Gloucester. All right. Don't know him. <laughs> yeah, he's now, his brother died. The, uh, the sons of the Duke and Duchess of Kent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he inherited the title that his, his brother carried. But anyway, after this all happened, I was doing the command performance, and I was in the reviewing line at the end, and the royals were coming by. And when he came by, he said, you don't know who I am, do you? And I said, oh, yes, I do. I said, we had the boat trip out to radio, whatever it was, and on that miserable day out, and, and his mother piped up and said, you what? You went where? <laughs> I didn't realize that I wasn't going to let that slip. I don't think he was supposed to do things like that. But um, Princess Margaret was really into 60s pop, wasn't she? Did you ever meet her? Yeah, I did a command performance for her as well. Yeah? Um, I did several of them for several different people. The Princess Margaret one was um, the opening of the Plymouth uh, Concert Hall. And did you find a... You know. Oh, it's difficult. I mean, you meet them in a very, very short period of time when they're coming by, you know. I remember the very first one I did, uh, which was at the Palladium. Hmm. And I was standing in a reviewing line, and Henry Mancini leaned over to me, and he said, I got here very, very late for this tonight. He said, what am I supposed to do when she gets here? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Well, I told him what they had told me about uh, terminology and mom and... A uh, little, you know, a, a bow. Etiquette. Exactly. Yeah. You could have had some fun with him, though, couldn't you? Should have what? You could have had some fun with him by telling him the wrong things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was a nice guy. I, I first met him in the strangest circumstance. I went up to um, Thank You Lucky Stars. Oh, yes. And I was in a dressing room with the Rolling Stones, and I was sitting down talking to Mick and Keith. And I looked in the mirror, and I saw this guy standing outside the door just watching the set. And I thought to myself, that's Henry Mancini. <laughs> so I walked out and I introduced myself to him and I said, do you mind telling me? I said, what, what are you doing here at Thank You Lucky Stars? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, whenever there's a new music influence coming into being, he yeah. said, I always try to go wherever it's coming from and, and get in the middle of it and absorb it. And that's what he was there for. Yeah. All right. And have you got any nice Mick Jagger stories? Not so much stories, but the only thing is I love the way that Mick has created this fantastic myth about what kind of bad guys they are, bad boys they are. Yeah. And they're just the opposite. Are they? Oh, they're so so shrewd, I think, and so, so together. Yeah. Well, they do like a good time, though. Yeah, probably so, but um, I just read something that I think is right on the money that uh, Keith said, and Keith is getting funnier and funnier as he gets older and older. <laughs> He said that when Mick goes to, to bed at night, he writes himself notes as to what he's going to do the following morning. And he said, me, I just hope that I get up <laughs> the next morning. <laughs> so I thought that kind of summed it up. And just, just finally, um, when you come to a town like this, Worthing, what sort of things do you do when you're not actually working, when you're not doing a sound check or the actual performance? Do you go looking around the town? Do you buy souvenirs? What do you well, do? Well, this time, Worthing is kind of unique as a starter, and I'm hoping to get down there maybe the day before, because my, the large uh, speakers that I have in my recording studio are made by B&W. Oh, very good. They're, they're based here, yeah. Yeah, they're in Worthing. Yeah. And I want to see what they've got. We've had these in the studio now for oh, probably 10 years. I want to see what they've moved up to. Yeah, excellent. I've got B&W speakers as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah they're excellent. excellent. Yeah. 
They're considered oh. like very high end over here. Yeah, absolutely, and here as well. Yeah, Good. definitely. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll definitely be coming to see you when you uh, come to Worthing, so I look forward to that immensely. Terrific. We were looking for a date to put in the last tour, and the promoter said, what about Worthing? And I said, oh, geez, you know, I, I don't really know. So we had a running bet. And sure enough, he sold it out way before the tour. Oh, good. Yeah, Great. so he always ribs me with that now. <laughs> so it's your first date nowadays, is it? That's the first date on the UK tour, right? Yeah, fantastic. Um, and apart from your tour, is there anything else that we should be plugging for you? Um, there's a new CD coming out, which is a Love Songs CD, a compilation on Sanctuary. It will be out in conjunction with the tour. Okay, so that would be in the autumn then? Yes. September time, yeah. Great. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. Okay. All the best to you. Thank you. you Cheers too. now. Bye-bye.